Okay, so this talk that I've been asked to do is called The Healthy Skeptic. So for me, what's a skeptic? A skeptic or a healthy skeptic, the ones who doesn't just accept things at face value, I believe, face value, but I believe the first thing they've been told, um, but is willing to ask questions to understand it before they make a decision. We all try and get information from what we consider to be reliable sources. Um, anybody here work for Facebook? No, okay. Um, probably several different ones, and weigh up the information. Um, as an example, some of us here are probably thinking about whether or not to get the flu vaccine. Um, there are pros and there are cons to making that decision. There are benefits, the benefits of not getting such bad flu if the vaccine is effective, but you've also got the risk of side effects. And we want to understand all these before we make a decision. To do this, we need information and we need to decide who we're going to listen to and how confident we are in their views. Some of us may be skeptical about it, think the risks are too high for the benefits. Some of us may take the opposite view, but in both cases, we want to make an informed decision. And I think making an informed decision about Jesus is also important. After all, what is, if what he says is true, there are consequences for us today. So today I want to look at an example of someone who wanted to do this, to make an informed decision about Jesus 2000 years ago. Now on your table, if you're sitting in the room, there's a copy of John's gospel. I believe that um, if you're online, it's going to, the bits of the gospel are gonna come up as a screen share, a slide share. Now the gospel means the good news. And John's gospel is one of four gospels in the New Testament ascribed to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The name of the author is not given in the text of any of those gospels. Um, the one that it's viewed, this one we're looking at today is viewed as having been written by John. And it does say in it, the book refers to its author as the one who Jesus loved. And we're going to look at a character who appears in John's gospel called Nicodemus. He's sometimes referred to as the first Irishman in the Bible, Nicodemus. Sorry about my accent. And I'm going to start reading in chapter three, which is at the bottom of page seven, for those of you who've got a physical document in front of you, physical Bible in front of you. So starting at chapter three, beginning of chapter three. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what do we know about Nicodemus from this? He's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. What does it mean to be a Pharisee? Well, nowadays we use Pharisee as a, not exactly a compliment, and we use it to describe somebody who is hypocritical, self-righteous nitpicker. That's the usual meaning of Pharisee. However, at that time, a Pharisee was someone who was a Jew who belonged to a group who wanted to do their best to follow the teachings of the Old Testament and make sure they did it correctly, i.e. in accordance with the interpretation they'd agreed among the group. So it wasn't so much an insult in those days, as it might be now. Um, and as well as being a Pharisee, Nicodemus is described as a ruler of the Jews. So he was a man of some authority. So here is a man who's a devout Jew who wants to do what God wants and is at the same time a man of influence widely in the Jewish community. What else do we see? Well, he comes to Jesus by night. Why is that important? Why does John tell us that? I'm not so sure. I'm not sure. One possibility is he comes at night because he doesn't want anybody else to see him turn up. Um, because Jesus is a controversial teacher. He doesn't want to be embarrassed by having been associated with him. 
But another one reason might be Jesus is out all day, every day, preaching and teaching and doing things. And, you know, it's the only time he's going to see Jesus is by night. We don't know why it was by night. The other thing we see is that he calls Jesus rabbi. Rabbi is a respectful term that might be used by a student to his superior. It's like calling someone sir. Nicodemus is treating Jesus with a lot of respect. Um, and he knows about the miracles that Jesus has been performing and believes they're real. He says, no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. So he believes that they're really happening. For him, they're a sign that Jesus has been sent by God. Not that Jesus is the son of God or anything like that, but a, Jesus, a, a sign that Jesus has been sent by God. So Nicodemus is curious. He's asking questions. He's not jumping to conclusions. He isn't a follower of Jesus, but he's got questions and he's come to the source to find out more. Perhaps you're here or listening online because you've got a similar situation to Nicodemus. Not necessarily because you've seen miracles, but somebody's invited you to come and hear a talk. You're curious enough to come and listen or to log on and listen. You want to find out more. Why do people believe this man is the son of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Like Nicodemus, you're a willing audience. So how does Nicodemus respond? Continuing in chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's, mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I told you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So Jesus has told Nicodemus that to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. This has confused Nicodemus, who asks if this means you have to go back into your mother's womb. And then Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus that to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be born of water and the spirit. Has this helped Nicodemus? Well, the gospel says in verse nine, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? This suggests to me that he's actually even more confused than he was before. Jesus answered him, verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, Jesus sounds a little incredulous. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Why should Jesus be incredulous about this? I think it's because Jesus thinks that Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, really ought to know the Jewish scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying here isn't news. There are passages in the scriptures, in the Jewish scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the books of Ezekiel and Isaiah, which say basically the same thing. And Nicodemus should know these. Jesus goes on. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who, descends from he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now Jesus is reminding Nicodemus of a story that's told in the book of Numbers, of Moses holding up a bronze snake. 
and everyone who looks at it being healed of snake bites. And he's saying that similarly, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, the next verse and the verses after that, verse 16, seems to be the key thing that Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If, like Nicodemus, we're wanting to understand the message of Jesus better, it would be good to understand this particular point. So I'm going to unpack it a little. God loves the world. The whole world, all of us, everyone we see around us. The Jews knew God loved them, even though they were rebellious. But Nicodemus is seeing that God's love goes further than just the Jews. Further than that, Jesus is clear. God loves. God loves the world. He gave his only son as a gift because Jesus, because God loves the world. There's no payment required. It's a gift. It comes free. And God's not giving away an object or something he owns. He's not giving some treasure or, or something. He's giving his son, his offspring. And why is he doing that? He's doing that so that we do not perish but have eternal life. That's the outcome of God's love and the gift of his son, that we can all have eternal life by believing in him. That's the message that Jesus is giving Nicodemus. Reading on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. These two verses explain it a little more, emphasizing that God sends his son to save the world, not condemn it. And re-emphasizing that the thing that we need to do, our response needs to be to believe in him. And then Jesus ends his talk to Nicodemus talking about judgment. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So finally, Jesus is making the point that people love darkness rather than light because we all prefer that the bad things we do are not exposed. I think that's true of all of us. How many of us like having the bad things we, we do broadcast to our family and our friends and our colleagues, let alone everyone else? Mm -hmm. Now, we're reading this passage 2,000 years after Nicodemus heard it. What does it mean to us? Well, I'm sure most of us have done things, even today, which we know were wrong, whether small or large. I know that I have, and it's only lunchtime. We will all have regrets how we treated our partner, being deceitful at work by saying we're working on something we haven't started yet. Perhaps damaging something in a shop or at a friend's house and hoping nobody's going to notice. There's all something we feel guilty about. The message here is that despite the wrongs we do, God loves us all. And has given us his son. And he hasn't come to condemn us, to make us feel guilty, to make us feel guilt-ridden about what we've done. He's come so that we can believe in him, live in the light, and have eternal life. I used to think of myself as a nice guy, and people still do. Um, but once I realized that by God's standards, I wasn't just a nice guy, I thought that I would never be good enough to be worthy of forgiveness. 
What this passage says is that no one is so bad that they will be condemned. We can all have eternal life if we believe in Jesus. For me, it emphasizes that Jesus came, taught and died so that I could be saved rather than condemned. Now let's put ourselves in Nicodemus's shoes. He's got questions about Jesus. That's why he came. And he believes Jesus has been sent by God, not that he is God or the son of God. He believes he's been sent by God. He turns up to ask the questions. He gets an explanation he doesn't really understand. He's told that he's clearly not being paying attention. He isn't qualified to teach the Israelites. And then he's told that anyway, he hasn't believed anything that Jesus is saying. And he's referred back to a series of Old Testament Jewish scripture passages that he probably knows very well. And he's given the idea that he needs to look at them afresh. And then he's told that God so loved the world that he's giving his son so that everyone who believes in him can have eternal life. How could Nicodemus react to this? Well, he could think, what an arrogant young man. Who does he think he is to tell me I don't know the scriptures? He could think, I need to change my entire worldview immediately and believe in the son that God has sent into the world. Or he could think, Jesus has made some great points. I'm going to go away and think about it, think about it and try and make sense of it. Now, this passage doesn't tell us what Nicodemus thinks or even what he does next. It actually just goes on to tell us what Jesus does next. But we see Nicodemus again in the Gospel of John, in John 7. Now, by this stage, Jesus has been performing more miracles. He's been healing people on the Sabbath. He's fed the 5,000. He's been openly calling himself the Son of God. And this has, probably not surprisingly, annoyed the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they sent officers to arrest him. But the officers come back empty-handed. So I'm going to read on in John 7, starting in verse 45, which is on page 23 in the physical copies of John. The last paragraph on page 23. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, I think we can assume that Nicodemus has been following what Jesus has been doing and teaching. And perhaps he's been continuing to think about what was he was told on that nighttime visit, which is now some time ago. And he asked his fellow Pharisees a question, actually quite a simple one, suggesting they give Jesus Perhaps he's hoping that Jesus will make them think again about the promises in the Jewish scriptures in the same way that he's been doing. But he doesn't really get a positive reaction. He just gets some abuse. Are you from Galilee too? We see Nicodemus once more in John. This time it's in John 19, which is on page 57 in the small gospels. This is the point after Jesus has been crucified. Crucified at the request of the Jewish leaders, which includes the Pharisees. And his death on the cross has been witnessed by many. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate to be able to take Jesus' body and bury it. I'll start reading in John 
1938, verse 38, page 57. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So we see that Nicodemus comes to help bury Jesus, and he brings the myrrh and the aloes that are used to cover the body before wrapping it and burying it. And the amount, 75 pounds, that's 30 kilos, that's a lot. That's a lot of value as well. And we believe probably Nicodemus was rich, and he's coming with a lot with which to bury Jesus. Now, we don't know by this point whether Nicodemus is now a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. John tells us that Joseph is, but secretly. He doesn't tell us what Jesus, what, anything about Nicodemus. But what we do see is that Nic- Nicodemus is clearly more now than an, interest, an uninterested onlooker or somebody who's still standing back and thinking. What's he just seen? He's seen Jesus who's been talking about himself as the son of God, lifted up, lifted up on the cross. Perhaps Nicodemus has seen this and he's thought back to that encounter, which is now three years earlier, when Jesus talked about the son of man being lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Perhaps it's seeing Jesus lifted up and hung on that cross that brings everything together for Nicodemus, all his questions, all his study in the old Jewish Jewish scriptures, and that changes his whole worldview. Nicodemus started out as a skeptic, but a healthy one. He was willing to ask questions. He didn't dismiss what Jesus was saying, even though he was being challenged, he was having his thinking challenged. I suspect since then he thought about what Jesus told him, maybe he's gone back and looked at the scriptures, and he's seen something new in them, And he was willing, in John 7, we saw, he was willing to risk some ridicule from his colleagues by suggesting that rather than just condemn Jesus, they listened to him first. And finally, he's seen Jesus on the cross and perhaps then realized that he does need to be different. Perhaps finally, he was born again. Now, if today you don't call yourself a Christian, or if you do, you feel as though you need to learn more about it, I think it's good to imitate Nicodemus by being a healthy skeptic. Ask questions. There are plenty of people who would be willing to help you get them answered. You can read a gospel. You're welcome to take the copy of John that's on the table with you if you want. And that may bring up more questions. Some of it may not make sense at first, but like Nicodemus, persevere, ask, look. Come to Covent Garden Talks. We meet here every week. We're going through the gospel of John at the moment. Um, So at least it's now a little familiar to you. And just talk to people talk to people to understand what how they what sort of christians to find out why they believe it's important to know about jesus